Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. For today's mum, there was a real difference between the physical versus the mental pregnancy experience. Physically, she felt amazing. She loved being pregnant, her bump, seeing her body change, and she was hitting the gym until 39 weeks. On the other hand, her mental journey ebbed and flowed. Looking back, Kate feels like she has now blocked out the really tough parts, but she was very anxious at times, having had a miscarriage at the start of the year that then overshadowed a lot of pregnancy excitement. Kate also had a scare at her 20-week scan, which compounded certain fears. Her beautiful boy Ferdy arrived nine days past her estimated due date as well, which was another huge mental challenge to overcome. Those days felt like an eternity. The thing that Kate wishes she'd known about in advance is the reality of those first few weeks as a new mum, which are tough. For her, it couldn't have been more of a shock to the system after a relatively positive pregnancy and birth. In those first few weeks, she felt like she just plummeted after a real high. Well, Katie, thank you for being here today and agreeing to share some of these experiences with us, which are hugely relatable. So thank you in advance for everything that you're going to share. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Excited to yeah, tell my story. Wonderful. Well, everyone gets asked the same first question. So please, could you tell us your name, your age, where you're from, what you do in life, and please introduce us to your wonderful family. Yes, I'm Kate, I'm 31, uh, from Birmingham originally, but live in Amsterdam for over five years now, which seems crazy it's that long. Um, and for work, I work uh, yeah, in e-commerce and digital for a sports company. Um, and my family is my partner, Julian, and our little baby boy, Ferdy, who is now two and a half, almost three months. Wow. So you're very much in the thick of the first, the fourth trimester. You're you're really in the middle of it all. And, and can't wait for it to end the fourth trimester. But yeah. Well, thank you for making the time to do this today because that is not an easy moment. Uh, it's not even easy to find five minutes, let alone an hour to do this. So could you talk to us, go back to the beginning. Um, where did your journey to motherhood begin did you always want to become a mum when did you first start thinking about it I definitely knew I always wanted to become a mum but had no I no plan on when that would be let's say um I mean yeah Julian we were we were together for yeah three or four years maybe three years at the time and it was during Covid and my big plan was always I wanted to do like a big trip a big travels with my partner and um, obviously Covid put a delay in that and I knew also I wanted a baby at some point and just you don't know how long it'll take you to get pregnant so you know we were kind of like right what do we do do we wait till after Covid and do a big trip or do we want to start trying for a baby and that's kind of when a few friends like close friends of mine started to have babies and you know when it gets a bit more in the in your environment then you kind of are more I guess keen for it um yeah so that's kind of when we had the discussion that we were like all right like 2022 let's start trying yeah to have a little baby very exciting and what was what was kind of the conception journey like for you um did it happen relatively easily did you have any bumps in the road was it tricky what what was all of that like so I was on the IUD um and I had and it was coming up to the that was actually another reason we decided we would try for a baby because it was already coming up to the, the time it would have to be removed and replaced. Um, and I remember it was December and I had a smear test and I said to Julian, okay, well, they're up there anyway. Like if we can get the IUD removed, should I just do it there and then? Or do we want to wait till whenever March and it's due out? And so we said, okay, no, let's, let's, you know, if it's possible, I'll get it taken out then. Um, yeah, and then I was really lucky to get pregnant straight away. So yeah, incredibly fortunate on that. Um, so that would have been December 
21. Um, but then, yeah, as, as mentioned, unfortunately, I had a miscarriage about seven weeks um, in the January. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, so obviously that, that was very much a shock to the system. Yeah, what happened and how did you know that you were having the miscarriage? Yeah, it was actually... Um, it was actually one of my best friend's baby shower that I noticed. I mean, of all the oh, ironic really? uh, yeah. times for it to happen. And I started bleeding. And you know that you know that miscarriage is so common, mm. but you still don't think it will happen to you. Mm. And I've had, you know, a lot of friends and family that have, that have had miscarriages. So it wasn't a distant concept, but you still don't think, well, I didn't think it would, it would happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, then... So here in the Netherlands, you signed up for a, a midwife kind of at seven or eight weeks. So I hadn't actually signed up for a midwife mm-hmm. yet. So I, I went to the, the GP, but the bleeding had got worse. So I knew that it wasn't good, but they scheduled a scan and then we had the scan. And yeah, they, they couldn't see, um, they couldn't see any, it had, all, it had all passed basically. So in some ways, I mean, not good, but then it, I didn't have to have any um, follow up because it had passed naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the miscarriage lasts, yeah, it lasts about about two weeks. And I don't know, looking back, I think it's so abstract. Like I just, I was starting a new job at work. So same company, but a new team. And I was just in the office in this workshop. And I remember going to the toilet and thinking, I'm just miscarrying here. Yeah. And I'm in this workshop and like nobody knows. Yeah. And it felt like that Fleabag episode. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that Fleabag episode where they hurt where. And I just thought, this is so weird. You don't know how to process it. And and looking back, I like, why didn't I take, why didn't I take a day off work? But it just, I don't know. Like, you just don't know. I almost thought it'd be better just to, to go on with things. But actually, I w- should have taken some time, I think. Is that the tricky part? You You obviously can talk to your partner about what's going on. But other than that, presumably people don't know you're pregnant yet. Yeah, so I hadn't told anyone I was pregnant, but I did tell people I had the miscarriage. And mm. it's kind of strange because that brought me such relief. So, you know how people say don't tell people you're pregnant at 12 weeks in case you have a miscarriage. But actually, I found real comfort in telling people like it was honestly like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And mm. um, when I told yeah, my friends and, and my parents, and I also said to Julian, like he, he needs to tell someone because you almost can't you're internalizing all that that grief yourself mm. um so I was quite open I didn't tell work which actually like my boss the boss from the new job so it really it really happened the week I started my my new job Gosh. in hindsight I told him and he was super understanding so I definitely could have mm. but there's no there's no rule book on how you know it's not like oh you have a miscarriage you get two weeks sick leave, no. you know so I felt almost embarrassed to say at work you said you were in the middle of this workshop and and did you just then go back into the middle of the workshop and carry on as normal like how did you also physically have to deal with what was going on at the time yeah it's weird I remember being almost angry like I'd be in this workshop thinking god none of this matters like I remember someone was talking about something sales numbers and thinking like yeah almost found it funny in an angry way like I was like I don't care about this I'm literally losing I don't know I'm having a miscarriage but yeah I mean obviously none of them knew so it's not anyone's fault yeah it's just yeah it was very it was a very weird time I can imagine and and as you say you're in grief even though it's very early stages you have to process the loss of that baby and the possible future that you had been clearly imagining how did you mourn that child you didn't have yeah so I would say that I didn't process it, it well because the only I knew the only way I felt I could get over this was to get pregnant straight away again. Mm-hmm. And luckily that happened. But I really just was focused. I became obsessive about getting pregnant again. Like I would be like, okay, it has to be this month. Otherwise a baby will be born in January or it has to be this month. Otherwise, you know, you know, it's, you can only get pregnant a couple of days a month. And um, they advise that you wait for your first period following a miscarriage to get pregnant again just so that you can otherwise it's too hard to know when you've ovulated so it's really hard to know when when you've um, released the egg 
but actually you're most fertile after a miscarriage but you could have your period like six to eight weeks later so I was just I was like I can't I can't wait that I can't wait two months to then get a period you know I've been on the IUD I, I don't know my periods aren't regular like I have no idea when that would be so I mean amazingly again we got pregnant straight away so before that period and I think if we didn't I really wouldn't have coped well and I didn't care the, the anxiety of not knowing. The I thought, well, I'm already, I'm already hugely anxious. I don't care if I don't know when the baby's date was. I'd rather be pregnant again than wait. You said you were feeling very anxious. Did that, did that loss of a pregnancy then shape this next pregnancy? What was that like to manage those feelings of worry that you must have been having that you might lose it again? Yeah, I mean, even the getting pregnant because you're. St- so I took a pregnancy test and it had a, it was a faint line, but you don't know whether that line is from the miscarriage still from the pregnancy hormones or from the new pregnancy. So there was no elation at finding out that pos- like, like the first time, you know, so happy because you don't know whether that is, whether we were actually pregnant again. So I had to take, you know, had to wait a, you know, week taking a few days, see if the line got darker. Um, then I signed up for a midwife and then we could do an early scan and kind of as I explained the date I thought I would be eight weeks but I was six weeks so I don't really know when um, the egg was released it definitely took away that that early excitement and I mean you also (laughs) time doesn't go as slowly as those first 12 weeks I remember counting each day looking on those apps like okay now we're seven weeks in one day now we're eight weeks in two days just really, really hoping to get this magical 12-week mark, which also means nothing. Mm. Um, what was good is that here in the Netherlands, you, well, the midwife that I registered with, you do have an, an early scan. So I had a scan at eight weeks, which turned out to be six weeks. And then I had another scan at the real eight weeks. And then you have the scan at also 12 and 13. So that was also my reassurance. Like we were, we paid for like an extra scan, um and you could also drop in to hear the heart heartbeat you know just some little things to help put our mind at ease but yeah it wasn't it wasn't a blissful period let's say speaking of you being in the netherlands what was support and care for you like during pregnancy you said you had these scans and you could drop in to hear hear their heartbeat what what was the care like and do you know if it was particularly different from what happens in the UK? Yeah, I couldn't recommend the, the Dutch care enough. Honestly, I had such such a great experience. Mm. So it's very it's very midwife led. So you register um, with a local midwife practitioner um, and the midwife that I was registered with does something called centering pregnancy. So it's an American concept where you do basically all midwife appointments in a group of women who would do a similar time. Mm. Uh, so I think instead of having, yeah, what would be a 15 minute checkup every month, you would have then a two hour session. So it's every month and then it goes to bi- bi-weekly in your second trimester and then weekly in your third trimester or maybe not. Yeah, something like that. And it's amazing. So not only do you, you have a little like 10 minute checkup by yourself at the start, like behind the screen where they measure your belly and um, check the heartbeat of the baby but then you sit with these women and you talk about it can be various how, how do you want to raise your child um, what can you can you not eat in pregnancy um, also about preparing you for the birth stages of labor yeah I couldn't recommend it enough it, it was amazing sounds brilliant so you're you're living it all together in a way is it the same women every every session you go to yeah it's the same yeah six or eight women and they all live in the local area and they're all due like I think I was one of the last um, due dates, but everyone within kind of four to six weeks of the due, and and yeah, they uh, the midwives, it's it's run by two midwives, wives, um, and then for your birth, you basically there's three midwives in that practice in total, so that you'll you'll then you've met two out of three, let's say, who'll be present at your birth. Wow, um, and it's very uh. A, a, a holistic view of, of um, birth so it's it's actually quite different they're quite encouraging of home births here mm. um, and I was actually really tempted to have one but we live on the third 
and fourth floor and the Dutch stairs are so steep and narrow that if you have to go to hospital, you have to get airlifted out of the window by the fire truck. Whoa. So the thought of that put me off. I thought, yeah, if I was in a house or on the ground floor, but the thought of having to call the fire brigade and be airlifted out of the house mid labor. <laughs> wow. Yeah, a little bit of a barrier. A little bit of a barrier. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they consider birth very natural, um, which means that if you want to give birth in a hospital, you can, but as soon as you want any medical pain relief, so as soon as you want um, an epidural or I can't remember what the, the morphine one, that means that you actually go on to a medical birth. So your midwife would then leave and you would be then handed over to the hospital gynecologist. Oh, okay. So it's a bit different. So I then I went into birth you know, wanting to stay midwife led because I really had a good connection with the midwives. Yeah. Um, so actually then you go in on the assumption you won't have an option to have that medical wow. pain relief. Wow. And how did you feel about that? So you wanted to be with the midwives, but did that feel, did that feel daunting? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit odd because you then have to put in your birth plan, whether you plan for an epidural, you know, I kind of, it's a bit like, well, if I'm in the time, maybe I want one. But you'd have to almost decide at the start whether that's the direction you wanted to go. Um, and I decided my preference for birth would be at, at, at the birth centre. So it's kind of like a home away from home. So you can't mm-hmm. have you can't have medical uh, intervention there, but it's in the hospital. So if you then needed to have medical intervention or you wanted an epidural, you could be wheeled literally through a door and be in the hospital. So that's kind of, that was my then plan. Okay, so best of both, really. Exactly. The only thing is that here, you don't know where you're going to give birth till the day. It depends where there's space. So I could put that as a preference, but it would depend like when I'm actually in labour on where I get to go. Wow, okay. Okay, so that's a big difference as well. And did that feel okay? Did you, that you didn't know where it was going to be? Did that play into how you felt about your preparation at all or didn't really matter? Yeah, to be honest, it it did impact it because I really wanted... Well, I, I also really wanted the option to have gas and air, but there's only one hospital in Amsterdam you can have that. So it, it you were really left up to chance because I didn't want to just be so reliant on that. And then on the day, you can't go to that hospital because I didn't have any beds. Wow. But then it didn't, I wouldn't say it stressed me out, but yeah, it was a bit, it made you kind of think, well, you don't have a choice anyway. It just really depends where there is space. Wow. Okay. So there are some big differences there. Mm-hmm. I know, sorry, we've we've skipped slightly towards the birth. I want to chat a bit more about how pregnancy was um, because you were saying that you had a very positive pregnancy, but I know you had a bit of a scare as you were um, going through that as well. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, that the 20-week scan, what happened and, yeah. and what that scare was? Yeah, so after really the first trimester, I think I was able to kind of settle down anxiety-wise um, let's say, you know, I was feeling, feeling good, you know, you're seeing your bump develop, you know, that those kind of things put your mind at ease. Um, and then we had the 20 week scan. And I don't know, I, I think I was just thinking it was another chance to see the baby. I think I was forgetting that it's really a, a medical check for abnormalities, you know, like it's, I don't know, like we were just, it, you know, it takes about an hour and a half or in, in Amsterdam it does. And it was all you know, we're looking at all the baby. It's it's lovely. It's really great to see see so much of him. And then at the end, she just says, "Oh, I've seen something. I've seen a defect in the heart. Um, I'm going to have to refer you to the hospital because they have more. They have stronger, more powerful ultrasound equipment." And she's like, "I don't know if I have seen anything, but but what I can see, it looks like there might be um, something wrong." And it just hit me. It actually, it just hit me like a bus. I just wasn't expecting. Yeah. I don't know I just thought you forget that something can happen at any point in pregnancy um and although I had you know I I, like I loved the midwife that was the one criticism I would have is that I remember I went away well we went away from that appointment just absolutely distraught in floods of tears like I had no idea what that meant I was thinking am I gonna have to terminate this pregnancy at 20 weeks when I have like a whole life mapped out for this baby yeah that must have been so scary yeah it was just a horrible two days and then we got we managed to get the hospital appointment on the Friday but it wasn't until the night before the hospital appointment that the midwife actually rang me and, and she said you know don't worry like you know best case scenario is she hasn't seen anything and worst case scenario is it's a 
it's an operation for the baby, which is obviously also very um, traumatic, but it didn't mean that the pregnancy would have to be terminated. But I had no idea. Wow. Okay. But she didn't say that at the time. No, she just said, this is the problem. And you know, you don't want to Google things because they say that you can spiral out of control. But I almost wish I had Googled it more because for two days, we were just absolutely devastated. We had no idea what would happen. You know, it was like our world had come crashing down. And then for her just to say, mm. actually, the worst case scenario would be an operation, which again, is also very, 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 um, yeah, you don't want to operate on a small baby, of course, but at least the baby could be born. Yeah, that, that's so different from having to terminate. So different. That's very different context. And then we had the appointment at the hospital. And yeah, it was also just such a different experience, you know, like she couldn't get a good angle. So she was, I remember I had was prodding around my belly, like she was I think an hour and a half or two hours scanning me, trying to get this picture of the heart. So, you know, just so painful and uncomfortable. Like she was silent. We were all silent. And she said, you know, I can't see anything. I'm going to call the cardiologist. And the cardiologist came and she also said, yeah, I also can't see anything wrong. So I think there's nothing wrong. Or if there is something, it's so small that it wouldn't be a problem. So absolutely amazing. Okay. And amazingly, we also this week had a follow up at the cardiologist and they also could see nothing so it turned out more than we could ever hope the relief but what a roller coaster to go through completely and it also just it really hit home then that god anything can happen during the pregnancy you know it's not you know it's not this 12 week 12 week mark um, and that kind of then although it was a huge relief of course it tainted the rest of the time that I was still worried that something would happen and you know, then you really feel like, who cares what colour the, the nursery is or what pram we're going to buy? I just want a healthy baby. That's all that matters. That's what's important here, your health and the baby's health. How did you manage that worry across the rest of the pregnancy? And how did you also begin preparing for the birth with that in your mind? Did that influence what you were doing? And how, how did you get yourself ready? Um, well, physically, I really think training helped me. So I was doing... Um, the strength training program uh, with with also it was a pregnancy class so it was also with pregnant women and I think that really was able to take my mind off it I also did quite a bit of yoga and hypnobirthing and all of that stuff but I have to say that I I became I became also really worried about about the baby like obsessed with the baby's movements did I move, did the baby move today how often you know as the midwife appointments they became more regular so bi-weekly and then weekly I would just count down till I could hear you know the heartbeat they could feel the baby was okay um yeah in terms of, of the growth curve um and preparing yeah preparing for the birth I remember writing on my birth pan like my only fear is that the baby will be okay yeah you know I just want you to regularly check that the baby's heartbeat heartbeat is is strong and that you know you're regularly checking that the baby's going to be all right Thankfully, of course, you've got a beautiful, healthy boy in your hands now, but at the time, you, you don't know what might happen, do you? I guess pre-pregnancy, I, I had no expectations. Um, and then as pregnancy developed, and especially during this centering pregnancy, I really then wanted um, a natural birth. No, not no painkillers, let's say, but I wanted it to be it to start as naturally as possible, you know, ideally without induction. Um, and I wasn't against pain relief. It was just, I just wanted to, you know, if I'm asking for it on the day, give it to me. Yeah. But let's try and go in without it. Mm -hmm. um, and I said that my, yeah, I mean, my birth plan was, yeah, a little more detailed. So I, I said I wanted the preference was for the birth center and it was in the birthing pool. But yeah, the, the problem is there's six beds in the birth center in the whole of Amsterdam and two of which have a birthing pool. So it's pretty low odds. Wow. Wow, yeah. But amazingly, yeah, and amazingly that I did get that in the end. So I almost can't believe that those odds would be in your favor, but I really think that I had ro I'd romanticized the idea of birth, I think, with doing the hypnobirthing and I was so excited for it. Maybe a shock that it was so intense. I think I almost underestimated how intense it would be because I really had this romantic idea of it how did labor start and how did you know it was starting and and what happened when when Ferdy started arriving in the world well so so he was so my due date had come and gone and in the week before that 
I was already getting um, cramps, cramps at night. So in my mind, when the due date came, he was already a week late, let's say, because I was convinced I was having these cramps, you know, for almost a week before. Mm-hmm. And everyone said, you'll know when labor starts. So I was thinking, well, okay, if I'm doubting it, then obviously it's not labor starting. Mm-hmm. But as soon as um, my due date hit, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe, like I crumbled. All that strength I'd felt, I was crying, I was crying every morning, like Julian would work from home and I'd come into like, like where he was working, just crying, just saying like, when is this baby going to be here? Like I, I just, I could not cope with it, it being after the due date, which it's so funny because whenever you do your hypnobirthing, they say, you know, the baby comes and the baby's ready and you know that the due date is just an arbitrary date. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. But even though I knew all of that, I just... I, yeah, my mental state was so impacted with, um, with him being yeah late, quote unquote, because it's you know it's not late; it's the due period. Was it partly kind of just physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion at the end of the pregnancy, or or was it really just anchoring around that date and the disappointment of not not meeting the deadline in inverted commas? Yeah, I, I, I think physically, I really felt uncomfortable then. You know, I couldn't sit on the sofa because everything was you know you're sticking into your ribs so I was just sitting on this birth ball constantly I didn't want to go on walks anymore I didn't want to go to yoga anymore I felt physically just you know bored and caged in Mm. Um, and then mentally I think all of the worries of have I have I felt the baby today did I feel the baby in the morning did I feel the baby at night just was amplified so the days just felt like an eternity I don't know I just didn't expect it to be I was texting my friends who were also you know a bit later and they were like it's hell oh my gosh and I was getting a massage I was getting acupressure I was looking into I was doing all those YouTube videos to get the baby moving I I became yeah really obsessive about getting the baby out you try anything don't you what what did you try to to so acupressure were there other things that you tried to induce labor yeah so the acupressure I mean, I was doing raspberry leaf tea, dates, all of that since I think whatever the third trimester, nothing worked. I did acupressure and they were even, and the man was even like, oh, I bet you'll text me tomorrow saying you're in labour. All of those people saying stuff like that was getting my hopes up. I was like, yes, it's going to happen. What else did I try? Yeah, massage. I did the mile circuit. I I had a cervical sweep, so I went to the midwife at 40 so usually here they wouldn't advise any um intervention let's say to 41 weeks but at 40 I think it was plus three I went to the midwife and I was just in tears I was like what can you do for me and you know and she was she was really practical she said you really want an induction I thought that's not what I want but I don't think I can do another week and a half of this mentally so she did a sweep and she said oh yeah actually you know I think you're she was like well you're one centimeter dilated and now maybe you're two so I think this weekend it will happen so in my mind it's gonna happen at the weekend nothing happens of course um then on the Monday I had another sweep scheduled so the midwife came came to my house and but then she couldn't do the sweep because she couldn't find my cervix I mean oh she said, she said, this has never, she was like, this has never happened before. I was like, well, that doesn't make me feel any better. That does not reassure me at all. Where is my cervix gone? She was like, the fact that I can't find it makes me think that, well, you're not progressed any more than the last time. I thought, wow. And I mean, you had to laugh. I was laughing at the time. And she said, you have two options. You know, tomorrow, the midwife that was able to do the last sweep. So longer fingers, literally could try tomorrow or you can go to another location of the midwife today so that's what I did and then she was able to do the sweep and then it actually started that evening so it started yeah nine days so 41 plus two or something I know in the UK versus France France's official due date that you get given is a whole week later than the due date you would be given in the UK for example do you know 
whether that's the same with your due date and in Amsterdam versus the UK. Yeah, so it is, it's 40 weeks, so it's the same as the UK, which exactly, as you say, I mean, the majority of first babies come later. And, I, you know, you know all of that information and you know that logically X percent will come I don't know, I, and I knew all of that, but I just... But you're not in a logical place at the time, are you? Exactly. A flick, like a switch had flicked, and I, yeah, I don't know, it was, a, it was a strange... Looking back, it was strange. And so that evening, Ferdy starts arriving. How did you, how did you know that was the real thing then, and what happened? Yeah, so it started about 11pm, or maybe just 10 before we went to bed, and then I felt the pain. I thought, okay, this, this is it. And the contractions were already, I started timing them actually already, and they were already every seven minutes, and then quickly every five minutes, maybe by midnight. So I was like, right, this is really regular, we're in a pattern, um, this is happening. And I found it really painful. And I mean, again, what I said about kind of romanticizing birth, you know, everyone's like, oh, it starts off like period pains. Well, I've never had period pains that bad. Um yeah, I found it very intense and very relentless. I mean, you can't sleep if you're having a contraction every five minutes. Um, so I went into the bath, I think, at like 2 a.m. And then I was still timing. And then by 4 a.m., they were about three minutes apart, which is when uh, they advise here that you call the midwife. Um, so I got Julian to call the midwife, um, spoke to her, and then she said that she would come to the house at about 6 or 6.30. Mm-hmm. So then I got out of the pool and the pool, the bath, and then was just bouncing on the bath ball and had the tens machine on. And I was like, God, this is the longest two hours till the midwife will get here at six. Was the tens machine helping? And and can you explain what it what it does for those who don't know? Yeah, so it's it's an electric you put on it's basically an electrical current. So you put I think four patches on your back and it basically sends a pulse. Um yeah, a pulse through your back, I think. And the, the point of being, maybe this is totally wrong, but to distract your body from the pain of the contractions by focusing on that electric current. Um, yeah, I don't know if it worked, but well, it did work in the sense that I was so distracted by obsessing over it that it did distract me, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say, yeah, maybe it would have been a lot more painful without. I liked it because I felt like, I was really focusing on something else. You know, I was checking the machine and I could press a little button when the contraction happened. Um, so it was good in that sense. Um, and then also bouncing on the ball, yeah. So the the seconds were crawling by, but you managed to get to six o'clock when the midwife got to you. Yeah, so the midwife arrived also with an intern because we also discussed this at our, our midwife practice, you know, would we be happy with an intern in the room um, and at the time they said oh yeah well it doesn't matter because we don't have an intern but it was actually her first day and okay. the midwife asked me on the phone and I said yeah because I knew that because I knew the midwife she was the one that did the pregnancy course I was happy to have the intern because I didn't want two new faces let's say I was happy with um, mm-hmm. just and actually I'm really grateful that the intern was there uh, because she <laughs> filmed and took pictures the whole time uh, but yeah, she they arrived and then they um, they just sit with you and they I guess observe how you're doing. You know they can tell I think how intense it is by how you're coping. Mm-hmm. And then she um, measured my dilation. I was four centimeters. So she said, okay, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to ring to see if there's space at the birth center. Um, and amazingly, there was there was space at the birth center and with the birthing pool. Amazing. And she said that, yeah, we could make our way there. So really super happy that that was the case. So you were then accompanied on your journey to the birth centre by the midwife. That's amazing. Yeah, so the midwife always comes to your house and then takes you, but she go, they go separately. But they are always, yeah, they take you, let's say, from home to, to the place you give birth, even if it's medical, and then they would leave you there. They just make sure you get there safely and do the handover to the, the hospital midwife if that's what you want. Brilliant. So that is also really, really nice, yeah. Okay, and so then you get to the birthing centre, and what happens? Is there some kind of triage? Do you get your own room? What was it like? How how did things progress? So you always have your own room. Um, 
I, I've heard triage mentioned listening to birth stories myself, but I, I don't know what it is. But um, yeah, the midwife's with you. So she she knew how dilated I was. So we, we get to our room. I said I wanted to go straight in the pool. So she they started to set that up. Um, but that's when she says, you know, it's such a big pool, it'll probably take 45 minutes to fill up. I was thinking, what? I can't, I can't last till 45 minutes. Like, can you give me the gas and air? Yeah. Um, but she says, oh, well, you can't have the pool and the gas and air. Gas and air. You can only have one or the other because you can't be in the pool with it. Now, no one had ever told me this throughout the whole pregnancy. And also in my birth plan, that was my plan. So she was like, you need to decide. She was like, what would you rather do? Would you rather stay on land and have the gas and air or would you rather be in the pool? Um, so I decided to go for the pool. Um, so that was also a bit of a, a shock because I imagined I'd have some pain relief wow, through okay. the gas and air. Yeah, and that's suddenly been taken away from you. Exactly. But, I mean, luckily, I remember Julian was trying to set up the room, you know, with all the, the candles and stuff. But I, I didn't even notice it. Like, I was so in a zone. Um, and I was able to get in the in the pool. And, yeah, I mean, for me, it was such a huge pain relief. It was, it was amazing. Like I loved, you're in this massive circular pool. And I mean, I was just in there for, I think, yeah, three or four hours, just breathing through the contractions. It was, they were so intense. Um, but being in the pool really helped. And Julian was just putting a, a flannel, cold flannel on my head. Um, I was such in a zone. I couldn't even, I mean, I said to him, like, did you eat? And he said, yeah, they bought me breakfast. And I was having breakfast. I was like, what? I have no memory of when that ever happened wow I think I was just really in my own world and how did you get into your own world did it was it very natural or were you using any kind of tools or techniques that you'd learned maybe through the hypnobirthing or through the classes you'd done how were you how are you in getting in that bubble yeah so I was um just I don't I think I quite naturally went in the bubble because I just didn't want to speak. I remember the the nurses for the from the birth center coming to introduce themselves, and I just was like, I, I can't even register your names. You know, like this is not the time. This yeah. is not the time for introduction. Um, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy giving birth. I was just breathing. Yeah, breathing through it. And to think that I was in the bath for almost four hours seems really insane. Like, when would you be in a bath for that long? Wow. Um, but the midwife was coming in, and she was. Again, I can't really remember, but she was che- checking regularly when I was in the bath, which was nice. So she would check the heartbeat and she would check how dilated I was. But I was really just in my zone. I think the breathing helped, but I, I do think it was kind of just a natural a natural feeling took over. Amazing. What happened next? Well, I think, although they weren't telling me this, I, I assume that they measured the dilation and it had kind of stagnated let's say so the midwife advised that I get out of the pool to walk around a bit to bounce on the ball to kind of get things moving again because I was really just in one position in the bath um but I remember that was just it was agony I if I compare that to how I felt when I was in the pool like the pool was just such a pain relief because on the land it was horrible I remember walking walking around I couldn't barely walk around the room I couldn't sit or lie it was too painful so I was just kind of leaning over the bed and there's a picture of me just my head in my hands and I think that summed it up and at, and at that point I'm like Marika who's the midwife you know get get me a c-section like I'm jumping to c-section I'm like get me a c-section wheel me to the hospital like I can't do this and she says okay can you do three more contractions I was like no no I was like, I can't do but obviously you can't stop them yeah and they're every minute at this day every two minutes and she's like okay just breathe through I mean they were amazing they were amazing at coaching me through um I managed to get through the three contractions and then she said okay now if you can lie on the bed then I see how far you are um and then I I laid on the bed and then I said and then she said okay you're about 9.8 centimeters so you're basically 10 centimeters so next time you have the contraction, just do what feels natural. If you feel like pushing, push. Or if you keep on a, if you keep wanting to breathe, then breathe. Um, and I remember I pushed, and my water still hadn't broken, and then they just exploded, exploded in the room, all over everyone's wow. feet, <laughs> and so much so that when the placenta, I know, and so much so that when the placenta came out, it had been like partly ruptured by the pressure of the water breaking or such force 
Wow. <laughs> but anyway, that was good because then she said, now you can go back in the pool. I was like, yes, take me back into the pool. Um, and then I could push. So then I was, yeah, the pool was amazing. Honestly, I really loved it. And uh, well, obviously it felt pain and intense, but verse, I don't know how I would have done it on, on the land. Honestly, feeling how I did in those, however long it was. Um, so then I got back in the pool and then, yeah, I could, I was starting to push, but, but that, the pushing bit, I found yeah, really unnatural. I didn't feel the, the urge to push or so. It's weird. I felt it was less painful because you knew that you were doing something and the contractions I felt were really abstract. So the pain I couldn't, my mind couldn't process what was happening. So I found it more difficult to cope with, but at least with the pushing, I felt, you know, we were pushing, I was pushing the baby out so I could, you know, connect that more. But really the, the midwives, they had to coach me a lot. And, you know, she was telling me when to hold my breath, when to breathe. And I think I'd, I'd you know, I'd watched so many birth stories where, you know, women are mooing and groaning and stuff that I was doing that. And the midwife was like, oh, I think you're using too much energy on making the sounds. And I was thinking, I'm actually just putting the sounds on you know, because that's what I thought would happen. Right. It was really strange. So she was really like, actually, you know, hold your breath now and now breathe through, breathe out your, um, yeah, breathe out, out the push. And then I found, yeah, the, the pushing felt long. I think overall it was about an hour and a half. And I think on average it's maybe one hour. Um, but his head just, you know, kept sliding back in and, yeah, I remember not wanting to ask her how many pushes she thought I had left because I thought if she says 10, I don't know if I can do 10. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to know in case it's 10. If it's one, amazing. But I was just, you know, you, you're so low on energy. You know, you've not slept. I was also a lot of the time sick during the contractions at the start. So obviously you have no food in you and I couldn't eat. And I remember thinking, you know, I have nothing else to give. You know, she was going, come on. They were all cheering me on, saying, give it your all. I was like, I don't have anything to give. Like, I'm so I'm tired. Done. Yeah, I've been doing this for hours. Yeah, and I just, yeah, they were really amazing, like, like shouting. I mean, at the end, there was, so Julian was behind me, and then I had the midwife and the intern, and then also the, the, the nursing staff from the birth centre were also there. I mean, everyone was there, and they were all really, you know, you can do this. And I'm thinking, I, yeah. I don't know if I can um but then eventually uh yeah they, she beckoned um Julian to come around because we said that we'd like him to to catch to catch Ferdy and then then I kind of knew something was going to happen and then yeah Ferdy was born and Julian caught him wow. and put him on my chest and it was amazing a little water baby wow wow yeah. oh, I get emotional thinking about it it was amazing I mean, it sounds heroic. You you did it all, no pain relief, and you did it all yourself. And then you could feel Ferdy on you. What was that like? Just amazing. I remember just crying, and Julian was crying, and then Ferdy started crying. And just a little slippery, slimy thing. Oh, words can't describe it, can it? I mean, it's just really an, an overwhelming, amazing, beautiful time. And, and what immediately happened after that? Were you in a gorgeous little bubble? Were you left alone for a while? Did you have did you have any stitches that needed doing? What was sort of the aftermath? So because I'd been in the pool for so long, it was slightly too cold because I think, you know, it should be about whatever, 39 degrees um, body temperature uh, for the baby. So um, we had to get out of the pool quite quickly. Um, and then I went on the bed and then um, we were just doing skin to skin. And then that's, they did, I had, I think, two stitches. So she said, yeah, I can do them now or I can come back later. But I just said, just do them now. Um, and then they also, the, the nurse from the birth centre, she shows you, you know, or she says, okay, try and try and breastfeed. And if it doesn't work in 15 minutes, like, and if you want, I can come back and help you. She was really lovely. So she came back in and sort of, helped us there and then we were left alone um just like in the bubble three of us yeah it was just amazing just oh and also and you give birth to the placenta I forget mm. um and then yeah it was such a gorgeous bubble and then afterwards they they weigh him and, and they took his temperature but then because we were in the pool for a bit long he was a little 
um, under under temperature. So then we had to stay a bit longer in the birth centre and Julian did skin to skin with him to get his temperature back up. Mm-hmm. But it was, yeah, just amazing. And like the birth centre, I can't, oh, everyone that I've worked with in the pregnancy experience has been amazing. They wheel in a little trolley with a glass of champagne and no, yeah, some snacks and food. I mean, I couldn't, yeah, it was so sweet. I remember thinking, give me that champagne. But at the time I was like, I can't, I've not, I can't even, the last thing I want is champagne now. Champagne, forget tea and toast, champagne on a trolley, yes, please. I know, it was so, so bougie. <laughs> but, and then they made, and then it was brilliant. And then she, you know, they made like, I mean, the Dutch love sandwiches. So it was like loads of sandwiches. And she said, yeah, you can't, I remember thinking, oh God, I really want to shower. I'm really, you know, sticky blood and stuff. But she was like, no, you need to eat four sandwiches until you're allowed off this bed. They were just so caring. And yeah, I just remember thinking, I can't even eat. Like I'm too, I can't eat. Like I'm just, I'm just too overwhelmed with emotion, you know. And mm. um, Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Sounds brilliant. And, and so you were in the birth centre doing all of this, more skin to skin for Ferdy did they then discharge you did you stay in overnight no so normally you have to leave within three hours um but because uh he was um his temperature was on the low side I think we stayed about five hours so he was born at one um and then yeah at 6 p.m we were discharged um but another thing they have in the Netherlands which honestly is incredible is they have you basically it's called a cramsorg you basically have a maternity nurse come to your house for eight days after birth for six hours a day to basically tell you how to look after the baby to show you how to breastfeed to also look after the baby when you sleep wow I mean, it's, it's it should be best practice yeah it's it's incredible wow 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 that sounds brilliant had you met this person before? Do they just rock up the day after or were they waiting for you when you got home? How does it work? Yeah, so you can choose. You can either sign up for an agency where you would get assigned you know, someone from the agency or you can sign up with a self-employed person who you know and that's what we'd done. Um, and, but obviously it's a little difficult for them to manage because they don't, they don't know when the, all the babies will be born. So in the end, we couldn't have the woman um, that we signed up for, but we had someone else in her team. And yet, well, normally they would come the day after, but because if if you are home after 4 p.m., they don't come the same day, they come the next day. So everybody says, try and have your baby before before four so you can get out and get home. Obviously, yeah, you, you can't choose that. So we were home too late to have the crams org that day. Um, and it's really funny because for me, I think, oh my God, what an amazing... Um, service but in the in the Netherlands because it's so everyone's so used to it they were horrified that we would go home without the crams off they were like are you sure you'll be okay the first night by yourselves um you know here's 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 an a4 piece of paper on what to do you know okay this is how we recommend you swaddle the baby this like they were so worried for us it was and everyone that we we spoke to that's Dutch was honestly like oh how did you do the first night without the crams org and I think, wow. yeah, for me, this is a huge um, blessing. So she came, yeah, I mean, amazing. Um, and she came at 7.30 the next morning. So, you know, throughout the night, we were like, okay, just, just two hours till she comes. Just one hour till she comes. Wow. Um, yeah, and then and then it's, yeah, it's, I, I think it should be best practice around the world. Like, honestly, it's, I couldn't imagine not having it. What were the, some of the things they were telling you or teaching you and helping with? Yeah, so they do all the baby's checks daily. So the weight, um, you know, they see how the baby's doing. They check you, they check your stitches, they check where your uterus is, like um, how your recovery goes. They show you how to change a nappy. They show you how to bathe the baby, how to breastfeed. I mean, they're not lactation consultants, but... Yeah, they have obviously some experience and you can choose. I chose one that was more specialised in breastfeeding. Mm. Um, they also clean the house. No. They make can make you hot food. <laughs> yeah, because it's the point of them is to help your maternity period. So she she cleans the bathroom because she says, yeah, for your stitches, you need to have a clean toilet. Wow. So she cleans it. I know it's really... And and also she lets you see, like I remember on the third day, I think it's the famous that you have like a really bad night on the second night or something. Yeah. 
And she comes into our bedroom and she's just like, I'll take the baby, you sleep. And then she just takes the baby and, you know, lets you sleep for a couple more hours wow. for your recovery. Like it's all, it's all about, it's you and the baby recovery, which is really, I think, wow. important. Other countries take note. Yeah. This sounds excellent. It's Honestly, I, I can't imagine how you would just go on your own without that. Yeah. Because, yeah, how do you know how to, <laughs> how do you know what to do and how do you know how to breastfeed? Well, you don't. You don't, yeah. and you struggle blindly through. And, yeah, so speaking of breastfeeding, so how did that go for you? Had you done any preparation for that at all? or And how did feeding go? What was that journey like? Yeah, so it, it wasn't, it didn't go well, which I think is why I found the first few weeks so difficult, to be honest. Um, I mean, I did a preparation for breastfeeding course, but there's only so much you can learn when you're watching on a Zoom call yeah. and someone has a knitted boob and a toy baby yeah but obviously I thought with the crams or kit which is a joke isn't it why is it all on zoom COVID's over. and why is it always a knitted boob yeah like surely at least some silicon is a bit more realistic <laughs> I know oh it's so yeah but I do wonder if the if the crams or gave me a bit of a false sense of security with the breastfeeding because mm. obviously she's watching you and she said you know from what I can see he is latched well. Right. And I was like, okay, but you know, it's it's painful. And everyone said breastfeeding shouldn't hurt. And she's like, well, it shouldn't hurt. But you know, how often do you have a nipple pulled? Like, it does hurt a bit at the start. I was like, okay, so maybe this is just the normal pain at the start. Like, you just don't know, do you? You've never done it before. Yeah. And she was saying, you know, he looks like he's latching well. So actually, like, I can see him swallowing, blah, blah, blah. But then in the first week, he lost... Yeah, I think 6% of weight, which I think actually by UK standards is all right. But here, that's too much. Um, mm. So the midwife, she also comes a few times and she advised that we um, gave him formula to... So every feed, I'd breastfeed him and then we'd also give him 30 mils of formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after a week of this, the midwife was like, look, like you shouldn't still be supplementing. Like I think you should get a lactation consultant. Uh, so I did... Um, and then she basically said, yeah, from what I can see, he is latched correctly, but he's obviously not getting enough milk from you because you're still having to supplement. So what you need to do is, you know, breastfeed him, but then pump because like, you know, breastfeed him for 10, 15 minutes and then pump for 10, 15 minutes. So he's not active the pump and then give him a bottle to top him up. I mean, and then you start all over again. Like, I just remember finding it so horrible and stressful. Relentless just relentless I remember speaking I mean it's those two weeks I just although and I say I'm super grateful that we had the help I mean obviously most people don't have that but I was just found it so difficult emotionally and then I would speak to the midwife and it really struck with me she was like are you having any nice moments with the baby and I thought I'm not like I'm not I'm not even no I'm just a machine I'm just feeding him and then I'm pumping and then I'm giving and Julian's giving him the bottle and then it starts again and because the cram walks there like you do leave the baby with her quite a bit so I wasn't really having like lots of cuddles or yeah the good stuff I don't know and I just thought wow yeah I was like I'm not having any nice moments and then she was like well maybe you need to think about stopping breastfeeding mm-hmm. and I just thought god it's only been two weeks like I don't want to stop yet but I'm really unhappy but it's only been two weeks like yeah it was just really a difficult time it's a labyrinth of emotions exactly and you know the midwife was amazing and she was the one at my birth and she was like you know what I'm you know they're meant to sign you off after two weeks I think and she was like you know what I'm gonna keep calling you to keep checking in which was so nice but then the fact she said that made me think god if she think she needs to check in on me is she worried like is she worried that Mm. I'm not coping with with this well um you know like really nice of her to but she was like do you want to talk to someone I thought oh god you know am I you know do I have something in postnatal anxiety or Mm. um yeah I I was so confused with how I felt Mm. uh and then I think really we spoke to the lactation consultant after a week of this um you know breastfeeding pumping bottle and she said I said it's not working we have to stop and she was like okay well you can stop because he's put 
weight back on so you can just go back to breastfeeding and then almost immediately after cutting out that I felt so much better Mm. so I do really think that feeding struggle was really just what made it so difficult at the start and also the sleep deprivation of course you're not prepared for that oh no one is it it sounds obviously like a challenging time but brilliant that they were able to guide guide you through it and provide that bit of safety net I suppose did it feel reassuring yeah I felt so supported I mean you couldn't yeah I had had maternity nurse here daily a midwife was checking in the lactation consultant but it almost made me feel more guilty with how I was feeling because I thought yeah I'm so lucky that I have all of this and Julian of course we can't forget him being the biggest support you know he was amazing throughout the whole birth he was just phenomenal can't thank him enough but I and then I thought why am I feeling like this when I have something that so many people would be grateful to have yeah, it was really a weird, You then you feel guilty, which then makes you feel worse. And mm, It's a spiral. Yeah. And how are you feeling now? When did you feel like you were coming out of that turbulence and, and emotional roller coaster that inevitably is those first few weeks? How are things feeling at the moment and how is Ferdy? Honestly, the, the emotional roller coaster, I think, really has been defined by the, the feeding journey because mm. after those first few weeks and the breastfeeding went better, I felt so much more, felt so much better. I felt like... You know, I was really enjoying things. I was enjoying it more and more, spending, you know, nice moments with Ferdy and with us as a family. But then the feeding became more difficult again. Um, and it's still difficult now. So, yeah, what I'm struggling with at the moment is the decision that I probably will stop breastfeeding, which mm. I don't know, it is, is a harder decision than... I feel emotional about it, to be perfectly honest. I feel sad about stopping, but I know that I'll be happier once I stop. Mm. and I know we'll be happier as a family mm. and I like I love seeing Ferdy more and more each day like he's so happy and smiley and giggly and you know he's really engaging in the world I love seeing Julian with him like all of that is amazing but just the feeding thing is just still we're just not there yet yeah. and although it's only two and a half months I, I can't see myself putting up with this for another two and a half months yeah when I know that I could just make our lives a little easier. When it's feeling difficult, even a day feels like a lifetime. Um, it sounds like you're doing an amazing job and it's the hardest job in the world. It really is. And I think also, you you know, your sleep, your sleep deprivation is you have one bad night. I mean, he's never had a full night, but, you know, you have a particularly worse night and the next day you just feel, you know, so low, what I do anyway. And then it feels so much harder and then you have a better night's sleep or you have, you know, a really good day together and then you feel more positive and you think, you know what, maybe I can do this. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, you just, you can't prepare for this. You've never done something like this before. It's really a challenge. It's a physical challenge, an emotional challenge, a psychological challenge, a financial challenge. It is all the challenges come at once. And, and you're right, sleep is the difference between a good day and a bad day um and it's really day by day at this stage isn't it in the fourth trimester yeah well Kate thank you so much for sharing all of all of this because there is so much to relate to here and and you're doing an amazing job so hang in there finish I'd love to ask you a few quick fire questions if that's all right yes what could you not have done without during labor yeah honestly yeah Julian I mean that's maybe sounds cliche but yeah he was amazing him and the flannel he was putting on my forehead the cold flannel <laughs> well the done Julian. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best tip or trick that you've learned so far what's your your best baby hack so far um yeah for breastfeeding those silver nipple shields honestly we panic bought so much in the first week and the Cramswog was like yeah these are worth it they're a little bit pricey they're like 25 euros but they saved my nipples mm. um that would be the best hack in terms of baby hack yeah a lot of rocking that was just rocking I mean that's no hack if, if anyone knows a hack to get a baby to sleep then uh, tell me <laughs> and what's the funniest moment that you've had so far as parents if there has been one yeah I just I just find Ferdy like the funniest little character Mm. honestly like also just you know I think maybe one time where we were changing his nappy you know boys 
And then he's just weeing in his face, you know, and he's like his little face <laughs> covered in his own wee. Yeah. And you can't, and you're like, oh, this is awful because it's just in your eyes. But it's so funny because you think, oh, he just has no idea what's yeah. going on, the little guy. Finally, is there anything that you'd like to share or talk about that we've not managed to chat about that feels important? No, I think just would say, yeah, that actually like I feel like I felt maybe so lucky to have had such a positive birth and a positive pregnancy but that yeah that it's still it's okay that you still find things hard like maybe that's why I found the first few weeks so difficult because it was such a contrast that's the end of this episode take care and see you next time